Story Makers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Story Makers Show. And we are so excited to be here with Marion Pelia. <laughs> and um, her first novel, The Given World, uh, is wonderful. And it was shortlisted for the Soroyan International Prize for Fiction, long listed for the Penn Bingham First Novel Prize, a finalist for the VCU Cabell Award, and recognized by Kirkus as a best novel of 2015. I've heard people say, like, they never give anybody stars, and it got a star. <laughs> Uh, she lives in San Francisco, California, and in Missoula, Montana, with her Mongolian barking shepherd, Tupelo, who might be barking. <laughs> um, we all, we have a, a barking mutt, but... Um... <laughs> Hopefully he won't bark. Uh, in the early 1980s, she was the littlest logger in Lincoln, Montana, a neighbor sort of to Ted Kaczynski. Her, her second novel, We Would Be Amazed If We Weren't Already, is forthcoming. So welcome, Marion. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So great. So of that list of, you know, accolades, you know, where does Little Logger fall in terms of pride? <laughs> In terms of time? Pride. Oh, pride. Oh, very near the top. <laughs> very near. Although, what does someone have to do to be a little logger? Uh, just get involved with a big logger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, before we, so, so, so our little time, we have a two tiny bookend formats, and one is that we, we each check in about what we're working on. We start with us just because, as you can see, we really would much rather talk about you. Um, the quick check-in, uh, and Angie, what are you working on? Well, right now I'm working on thinking about making a plan to do something. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, Angie has happened to step into kind of uh, holding our school together in while well, we're in between directors. So that has okay. been an adventure. That is of the. It's not not it's not not creative, but it's not writing <laughs> or filmmaking. But um, it is really good stuff. I feel lucky to get the volunteer opportunity. <laughs> and I am, uh, and I'm actually, this will, this will lead to several questions, but I'm, I'm churning out a very first rough draft of, of a new novel. So uh, I did a thousand so words sorry. today. What, what? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hate that part. Do you? No, I hate it. Well, I'm, I really want to talk to you about that because I, I feel like you I have some really interesting insights into sort of that balance. But, and, and also between your two different books, you've, I mean, you talked a little bit about that in your in the sort of book, in the interview in the in the uh, in the book. So we'll, we'll get into that. But before we do, or maybe this is relevant, uh, what are you working on? Um, I really am thinking that tomorrow will be the last day of the the I don't even know how many revisions I've done with my agent in the last year on this book. But wow. I talked to her last Thursday and she said, yeah, we'll send it out late next week or early the week after. And that's the first time. So I've got a little bit of fiddling to do. I had some very brief notes from her. There's, there's nothing like knowing you're sending it out to kind of, I don't know, for me, like, it's like I, I start to suddenly like be able to move very quickly and, and do these last things. I'm trying not to rush it. I mean, yeah. that's what I've really learned with this process is, is you can't rush it. You know, it, it's, it's just, it's a, writing a book takes a long time. And yes. every time I go through it, I find... 
you know, I think I'm done. And then I find a million more things that are like, no, that's not right. So I'm just trying to be very patient, but damn it. I want it to, so, I want it to go. Cause, and then, you know, and then the, the agony starts. I'm waiting to see if anybody wants it. So what happens tomorrow? Like what, what are you, are you going to be reading parts of it or what, what are you going to do tomorrow before you hit? I'm just going, you know, doing all the line editing right now. And I'm about a hundred pages from the end and I'll work on it this afternoon for a couple more hours. And then in the morning, and then when I get to the end, I'm just going to send it to Emma. I love it. And say, and then I'm going to clean my house (laughs) and do some gardening. (laughs) Take my dog for a hike. (laughs) Right. Oh, that sounds wonderful. How great that your agent is working so closely with you. I, she has just been phenomenal. She didn't, we didn't do this with the first book. Um, I think it was a lot closer to finish. Well, I don't know. Anyway, I'm lying (laughs) about that. But anyway, I did much more of that on my own. Uh-huh. But this time, I don't know. She's probably read the damn thing eight times. Like that, that's an oh. it's an art to be able to bring fresh eyes to something after that. I know. Poster. Well, I keep waiting for her to say, "I am so sick of this book. I never want to see it again." But she doesn't. She just she's just been incredibly complimentary. I mean, I got a note from her last week that said several things and then right at the end it was it just said omg boy can you write and mm. i was like you know what that is what you want to hear from your age <laughs> yes <laughs> i actually want to back up a little bit talking about those expectations we have at the beginning of a project about how long something should take yeah and i i don't oh oh god <laughs> um <laughs> I don't think at the beginning, because I started this book before the given, about a year before we sold The Given World. And I did it, I think I talked about this at Writer's Camp. I did it as sort of a response to the first couple of editors that saw The Given World saying it was too quiet. And so I was like, well, I'm going to blow some stuff up. Um, so I'm Literally. simultaneously with working on big edits for the given world. So, um, so I kind of don't count that first year, which was 2012. And then we get into 2013, and I still, you know, obviously all the copy edits and stuff with the given world. Um, but then I thought it was done. And then, let's see, The Given World came out in 2015, and I figured I was about halfway through with this book. <laughs> and then I sent it to somebody that I really trust um, to read it. And she was like, no. Mm. And that was in 2016 when mm. I thought it was done. Mm-hmm. So what I'm kind of no? No what? What did she say or he said? She said... I love this. This was very kind of her. She said, I do not think that you have found your narrative structure yet, which was a very kind way of saying this is a mess. <laughs> and it was. Mm. And I mean, in that day, I gave myself 10 minutes to just go, oh, my God, I've just wasted three years. And then I started it over from scratch. So by the time Emma got it the first time, I had pretty much rewritten it from the beginning in a year and I thought oh that's pretty good a novel in a year ha 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 
So then another year has gone by since then. Okay, so. I, I might be putting too fine a point on it, and it's probably because of because I'm swimming through a new draft. But when you put aside the old draft, I mean, did you literally not look back on it? Did you have it by your side I, as you went it forward? I had it. I had it where I could access it. Like I didn't trash it and empty the trash. But I actually started writing, typing from the beginning all over again. And what I thought I was doing, which is another big joke, was just putting a foundation under what I already had, thinking, okay, well, I'll just write 50 pages of, you know, like foundation, background, whatever, whatever, and then I'll just slap (laughs) (laughs) what I've already got on top of that, and bingo. And then the next thing I knew, I was up to 175 pages, and I still hadn't touched the old stuff. Mm. And, of course, by the time you've done that, the old stuff just doesn't fit anymore. So I'm thinking from out of that first draft, I probably used, and the, the book is almost 300 pages, and I probably used, ooh, 25 pages mm. from the original, you know, and not in their original form, but right. that material. So, wow. So, and it's, you know, it's a million times better than it was. I mean, that's the. At least a million times. Yeah, scientifically (laughs) proven. Data points are there. I have, yes. So when you were at Sonoma County Writers Camp, um, and you said so many wonderful things, but I remember you at the the very end of our panel discussion, you said uh, that you had done a pass on the given world to add more tension. Can you talk about, Um, like, what what did you do to add more tension? No. If I could bottle that, I would make so much money. And I'm doing the same thing with it. This is what I've spent the last few months doing with, with this one, because that was one of the things that Emma said a couple of months ago when I thought it was done. She was like, have you read? Oh, God, this was the last one. She said, you should read the first 50 pages of Rachel Kushner's new book because, you know, the tension is really there, the way she she's um, organized it, you know, and the structure of it goes back and forth, you know, past, present, on the bus, whatever. And this, of course, was when I really did think we were done. She had sent me notes. I'd fixed everything. We're going out. And then, and then she picks up this damn book. With Rachel. <laughs> and she's like, oh, can't you write more like Rachel Kushner? Like, no. <laughs> but anyway, I, so I was just like, ah! Um, but I went through it again, and I did... I don't know how... It's like dropping breadcrumbs. It's, you know, it's just like having a rope that I don't even know this is a terrible metaphor but that you tie little knots in the rope so that somebody can hang on to it when mm-hmm. you're pulling them up over the side of the ship or whatever mm-hmm. um, but what are the knots made of what are the knots made of I knew you were going to ask me that um, <laughs> they're made of like little flash forwards but not really flash forwards just I mean and the way this book is structured it's it's got it's it's a frame story so essentially 
one of the main characters is telling stories to the other one because she's incapacitated and you don't know why hmm. until much later on so that's so it's got a built-in tension right there like you know that this one this one character Val is like bedridden for whatever reason and Lucky is telling her these stories but I couldn't just tell this, you know, all these stories, which are, you know, like historical, going back to Italy in the 1890s and stuff like that. It's just sort of history of this one woman and kind of how she ended up being an anarchist, like yeah. how people end up doing really crazy shit. So, yeah. so little knots of why, what W H Y, yeah. little knots of like why or questions, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this little, I guess so, little knots of why and of, of, you know, not always why, but what, too. Yeah. Like, you know, you will, you will find this out. You know, there's something about her dropping her gun in the forest, you know, and like, oh, well, you know, where is it now? And, and, and Emma and I just had the conversation about the checkoff conversation. Right. It was, it's sort of this combination of the gun on the gun blah 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 and I was like maybe I like the idea of working against that you know <laughs> against the rules so we'll see I don't know if but. a gun falls in the forest and nobody hears I, so actually though like in screenwriting there's this joke where you know it's called hang a lantern on it and you have what you know is a problem and you kind of just address it mm-hmm yeah, that's a question. And then keep going. Like, right. you know, and so if you wanted to mess with, like, Chekhov's first act gun, you could wrap it up. It's like, what about the gun? I, like, that is a question. And then end. <laughs> right. I, I, have, I have considered that. I actually have the notes, you know, like that big fat notebook that sits on my bed that I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, oh, this, 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 and this. And then about 10% of it makes sense the next right. day. But... That 10% is golden. <laughs> All right. So what, so the first draft that you set aside and little bits of it made it back in, what was the importance of doing that draft? Or, or let me ask you this. How will you start your third book? I am, well, my third book is going to be a memoir. Ah. And I've already started it. It starts with, um, it starts with, um, an LSD trip in the back seat of a 67 Falcon at 2 o'clock in the morning in the rain driving the wrong way about the, around the Washington Beltway. That was a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> but my next novel, I don't know. I think that I've, I've thought I have all these ideas for for the next novel and I want to base it on a story that already exists but I don't know what I have a couple of ideas one is you know the um, the song Leave On by um, Elton John Elton John yes of course mm -hmm. I love that song it makes me cry and I think it's just such a cool story like yes. the dad with the business making balloon animals he will and the Jesus yes yeah, just to sing in a little <laughs> background I love that song. So I've thought for years about writing that novel. And I think, <laughs> I kind of like the next one I do to, to have um, a kind of a steady trajectory because <laughs> it's so hard <laughs> to 
structure is so hard. I've learned so much about structure with this book. Is when you start messing around with time, man, it is so easy to get off track. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, in your first book too, was sort of. It sounds like it was short stories, and then they got drawn closer and closer together. Or yeah, gathered. It was, and although when I the first. When I first put all those together in, in an order, we it actually wasn't, it was out of chronological order. And then Emma and I went over it and I thought, why don't, we, why don't we just put this in chronological order instead of trying to do some thematic thing that doesn't, that, you know, and luckily we did because I got enough grief. <laughs> about jumping around in time in that book, which it didn't. Right. Well, it, it, it starts in, in, the, in a one point, then it, it goes starts, back. But it's a prologue, you know. Yes. That, yeah, no, I thought that was great. I mean, because it sets a, it's a right. knot. It's the top but, knot for your rope, right? Exactly. But then the rest of it was totally in chronological order. And I've heard so many times and read on Goodreads, <laughs> it jumps around in time. And I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it jumps forward sometimes. So like, anyway, yeah. Did That'll, I answer a question? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, it doesn't. You're like, well, it, you know. No, I'm saying it, it doesn't jump around, but it does it jump forward sometimes. It sometimes it jumps over yeah. time. All it right. Jumps, it jumps over time. Yeah. Yes. So what do you gain from having a um, – so you were saying structure is really hard. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about it? Because it, it sounds like you're kind of more less planny. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely at the seat of the pants or whatever they call it. I could no more write an outline for a book that I'm going to write. I mean, I couldn't write outlines when I was in high school. I always wrote the paper first and then wrote the outline after. Yeah. And I don't understand people who know what's going to happen in a book before they write it. I just, I don't, I don't know how anybody does that. I mean, I'm glad, I guess, that people can do that. But I just feel like if it's preordained, for me, it just loses something in the translation. It just loses some, um, what's the word? Like, it's not organic anymore if I, if I try to do try to do something like that. I just can't. So ever. how do you then approach revision? Because um, for me, like one of the things that I struggle with in the way that my brain works, it's very hard to keep all the threads together of a project the size of a novel. So It is almost impossible to do such a thing. And you don't love the first draft. I mean, you said you don't, you don't actually I love it. it. It's like writing new material for me is like pulling teeth. I hate it. Although it's funny, I have learned with this one that, you know, once I had a, a book when I had to go back and add new scenes and stuff, it was much easier, but it's because then writing really new material, but it's because I know the characters so well now. And I, you know, I just, and I know that where it's set, I know the Mm. setting and I know sort of the feel of it. So that was much easier. But, um, what was the question? Well, the question really is, um, how do you approach revision Oh, and you've right. done this sort of broad organic draft and there's just so many threads in a I, project that size. I think, I mean, the answer for me is I just had to go through it so many times. I just had to start at the beginning and sometimes I would start at the beginning and get, you know, 25, 30 pages into it and go, okay, 
this isn't quite aligned anymore because I've added something or I know that something now I know what's going to happen later so I have to go back and fix that and that is something that has always pissed me off about (laughs) certain novels such as that John Irving one about Garp not Garp not the Garp one the um oh Owen Meany uh huh I, that was the first book I ever just stopped reading because I didn't think you could stop reading a book once you'd started. That just wasn't done. And I was probably about 25 years old and I was reading that book and and he was just bringing in all these threads, like just one after another, like, wouldn't this be fun? Wouldn't this be fun? Wouldn't this be fun? And I was like, that's cheating. You can't, you can't just do that. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people who love that book. And they say, but he tied it all up at the end. And I was like, that is the ass backwards way to do that. You, are, you cannot just throw anything in there that you want and then tie it all up at the end. You have to keep going back to the beginning hmm. and making it work. That's cheating. So basically, that's what I've done with this, is I just keep going back to the beginning and just, it's like combing, you know, combing fleas out of the dog or whatever. It's like, if somebody said, um, Joan Frank says it's like sculpting, you know, like you just keep taking little tiny pieces of clay off and adding little tiny pieces of clay, and it really is like sculpting. So it's just time. So I love the, the, the anti-model. Can, can you give a, do you have a couple of examples of, of books that are kind of like like what you're doing and, or like what you want to do that sort of do do it the way you like? <laughs> the positive <laughs> models? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you a couple of books I've read recently that I just have been blown away by. Yes. Uh, one is, you know, Peter Carey, the Australian author, mm-hmm. Oscar Lucinda. Yeah. I love him. And I hadn't read him in years, um, but I read his most recent one. It's called um, A Long Way From Home, which is a terrible title for an absolutely phenomenal book. And just at the sentence level, mm-hmm. <laughs> His wife, Frances Cody, who was an editor at many different places, was one of the one of the editors that wanted The Given World, and she didn't quite get it. And when I read that book and she edited it, I was like, oh, man, oh, yeah, I wonder what we could have done if she had been my editor. Like, it is so freaking beautiful. Wow. And then I just finished um, Kate Atkinson's Life After Life. Oh, yeah, I read that. I'd never read her before, and now I'm not going to stop for a while. That was amazing. <laughs> and the frame of that, have you read it? Yeah, talk about starting at the beginning again, right? Yeah, over and over and over. And just the way there's no... There's no pattern to the way she does it. That's what I love about that book is, is you know, you get the idea. Yeah, you know, we start over and, and, you know, the same things don't happen in every life. But they also don't happen in the same way. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, she didn't have a, 
like a program for it. Yeah. Every every chapter, every every life was different and was was told differently. And I thought, God, you know, I'm gonna have to read it again. Although it's 500 pages long, and I don't read long books <laughs> usually, but it's I was amazing. just like, oh my God, how did she do that? And it is really, it's so beautiful. Yeah, she's amazing. That reminds me of um, Robbie Almadine has the book where that each each chapter is a and we're looking first to see this on the show. Right? Each chapter is a first chapter. So the narrator is this woman who's trying to tell her life story and sometimes it's a memoir, sometimes it's a novel and and sometimes it starts, you know, in childhood and sometimes it starts at some other point in her life and each one is just her trying a new way in. What is that book called? I the Divine. In her, what's it called? It's called I the Divine. Oh, I'll have to check that out. That it's, sounds pretty it's fascinating. It's really wonderful. And it's that same thing of like going back to the beginning, right? <laughs> what, right. Where is the beginning? But you and get I, the whole story. And that's, you know, I think for any any novelist especially, it's like that's that's a big question always is you know where where do I go into this story like what's the best and usually it's just you know like a voice in my head like a first line but it doesn't have to be that you know I realized it doesn't that first thing that came to me doesn't necessarily have to be the first line of the book right and getting beyond that is you know has been beneficial (laughs) (laughs) um any anything you wish you had known, like you know, a lot of our listeners are, are writers, and just anything that you, you know, that you kind of would pass on to people who are about know, writing or publishing or just anything. The whole horses, horses. I know writing. nothing about horses. I had a horse once, but that's another story. That's when Ted Kaczynski and I were neighbors. Yes. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. That's all right. No, he just, when I was logging, that was, his cabin was on the road that we took to work every morning. But we didn't know him or it. That's in the, is that in the book? Oh, you know what's funny is yeah. Rachel Kushner, her like she talks. She's been talking about Ted Kaczynski too. Isn't that weird? Because Ted Ted makes a small appearance in um, in the new book, but because it's because he was a you know he was a bona fide anarchist, yeah. and she's in Montana, so you know, and and it's very close. Lincoln is not very far from here, like ninety miles, yeah. which in Montana is not. You know, that's where you go for a burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I do, you know, I've been trying to write some short, um, Bill Wolf, who does, who write, who has the blog, um, read her like an open book, mm. which is great. He only does women's books, which I love because most men don't even read women's mm. books, but he's been asking me for a piece and I thinking, you know, what do I write about? And I really wish that there was a way to, you know, there's always the, the writer's digest, seven things I wish I had known, blah, blah, right. blah. It, it's so true about publishing, like your first book, you learn, you know nothing, nothing. And, you know, and you talking to editors and just don't even know the questions to ask. And I say, you know, for somebody in that position who is lucky enough to be talking to editors, of course, um, just remember that it's not about the money. Mm-hmm. You know, that there are way more important things than, especially for a first book, than 
you know, the big advance. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so nerve-wracking talking to editors, but if you can just keep your shit together and really try to to listen and see if you're both on the same page about the book. <laughs> that is a terrible, no pun intended. <laughs> you know, but... And not, not just, you know, you don't just want an editor that loves your book. And I remember asking all these editors, like, um, well, how much work do you think it needs? Hoping that they would say not very much. I have gone 180 degrees from there. I want an editor that will kick my ass, mm. that will make me work to make this book, like, the best thing it can be. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at the next time, and I think... That's great. I'm hoping. Yeah. 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 Somebody who see, has, shares the vision and knows how to go with you all the way there. Right. It's make you work because it's, you know, you always think you're digging as far as you can, but you're not. Mm-hmm. I get down to like bone marrow. <laughs> bone marrow. It is. That sounds fun. painful. Yeah. It, it is. is. It is. That's the thing. It is painful. And that's the whole And that's the beauty of it. It is the beauty of it. Lori Moore, when I was doing my MFA, she, you know, she's the one that that told me because I was giving everybody like a soft landing. Mm. And she said, no, no. Like, what would happen if, like, I think her, it was like, you know, you drove the stake in, what would happen? And then you pulled it out. Mm. So what would happen if you left it in there? And I went, I don't know, because I've never done that. And it made so much difference. So, yes. yeah. So yeah. that's my advice. Like, okay. leave the stake in. <laughs> <laughs> Although technically, if you hit an artery, if you pull the stake out, I they know, bleed I out. Thought, so I it's, thought about that. I know. I know it's a I tough metaphor. But we're writers. We're not doctors. So. Yes. <laughs> leave the stake in. <laughs> um <laughs> It is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow, T.S. Eliot said, professional poets steal. So at the end of each episode, we each think about something we've come across in our readings or wanderings that we want to take and make our own. And I can go first. Um, I am listening to the audiobook of An Odyssey by Daniel Mendelssohn, not the Odyssey by, or not Homer's Odyssey. Because he didn't write that. Yes, he Mm -hmm. didn't. But this book that he did write is is really fabulous. And it's actually, it's a great audiobook because the reader is really great and funny. And it's it's just this interweaving of uh, sort of an analysis of the Odyssey that's happening in a classroom that Daniel Mendelssohn is, is teaching uh, the class and his father's sitting in on the class and then it weaves into their their sort of their growing you know their relationship and uh, then this cruise that they go on following the the path of, of Odysseus anyway and it's it's brilliantly woven together so what I want to do and I think I'm gonna have to get hold of the book to do this is to like study that structure right. and really figure out like it's so brilliant and it doesn't feel contrived but it also never feels random and it's just got these beautiful weavings in and I just got to the this part where they're talking about how the Odyssey does this as well I mean he doesn't say he's doing it but it's like it's a really lovely parallel to what actually he's doing so successfully so anyway I just I just want to figure that all out 
like a like a braided narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it's moving sort of sort of moving chronologically through these different things, but also, but then it it's juxtaposing them, so it's it's all it's not strictly chronological; it's thematic as well. I bet he went back to the beginning a million times. <laughs> right. You know he did. And also, I'm thinking, because it's a memoir, like, was he taking notes the whole time? That You know, he must have been taking notes. He must have thought, this is going to be a good book or whatever, because, you know, he's got great dialogue. And stuff. <laughs> or maybe he's embellished a little. A little. Maybe. There's some wink- winks to that question in the Odyssey. But anyway, uh, who's next? <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. Okay. Um, I've been listening to a book... Uh, about playful intelligence and it's kind of this idea of looking at how we actually sort of uh, shut down our creativity when we take things too seriously and um, one one piece that I thought was interesting to sort of reflect on was that uh, in the book he references a study I don't have it I'm just going to say they did a study <laughs> and um, <laughs> those people are so productive those, <laughs> those those study people and um, they I don't know how they measured it so any of that but the idea was that readers who read fiction had higher levels of empathy than readers who only read nonfiction. Yes. And um, and I thought that was really interesting and I'm thinking about the idea was that empathy leads to deeper creativity and 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 deeper creativity leads to empathy. Yes, but also the empathy that the focus of like trying to be empathetic rather than sympathetic and thinking about your characters and how we often are like, well, I want the character to do this thing. Um, and then they don't, or when they do, it looks weird, um, is really kind of a lack of empathy of, of really understanding what that character would naturally do. So I'm thinking of empathy as a way to, into emotional logic. Nice. That sounds... <laughs> that sounds a good idea. <laughs> I am so tired. So... Yeah. I just, I mean, I have to get to know my characters, and it takes a long time. Mm. Like, this character in this book is a completely different person than she started out to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I thought about this question because I knew you were going to ask it, and I still haven't come up with an answer, but... um, When I first started writing, I stole a lot from Tom McGuane. Just that... Um, I didn't know that people could write like that. I mean, because it's just so crazy and just so stark and raw. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. And I, I, I still have old copies of my first short stories, like typewritten, 35-year-old onion skin. Right. That, you know, some of the lines were, if they weren't a direct theft from <laughs> Panama, they were pretty damn close. But... Um, so that was that was my initial stealing, and now you know when I read, I, I look a lot at how writers deal with time, because if you if you if you're jumping around in time, or even if you're not, you just want to say how much time has passed. It gets redundant to keep saying you know five years later or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I do, and I, that book, that Peter Carey book, he was I. I don't know. I can't remember what he did, but I remember noticing a lot going, okay, that's a really 
elegant way to say, you know, it was this many years ago or this much time has passed or whatever because mm. it's, there's that. And then the thing I've been trying to steal from lately is just poetry. I mean, mm. I, I've been trying to get up in the morning and read poems because I am the world's shittiest poet. I'm terrible. And when I read great poetry and go to great poetry readings, I come home and I think, I can do that. <laughs> but I can't. But... It just opened something up in me to read a beautiful poem because just the way poets, I don't know, just the way they approach the world, there's no, there are just all these kind of sudden turns that you just don't see coming. And I want to write like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to see it coming. I just want stuff to come out of the blue, but not in a bad way. <laughs> yes, yes. If you, yeah. and, and the writing is so beautiful. Uh, um, tell where would you where would you like people to track you down in a public way? <laughs> oh God, you know Facebook for now. I took my website down because it just was so wonky. And as soon as I can afford it, I'm going to put it. Or as soon as I can make myself go to WordPress, I'm going to build a new website myself because I hate WordPress. And mm. so it made me sick to go in to update my website. So I need to build it myself so that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So after tomorrow, when I have so much time <laughs> on my hands, when I'm not writing this book anymore and before I start the memoir again. Right, right. Um, Facebook and Facebook, my regular Facebook page, because um, my author page just languishes like most author pages do. Plus, <laughs> they can go to their local bookstore and buy The Given World and demand that, yes, demand that people carry it. And there's, yeah. <laughs> and, and really, and right now would be a great time to do that because, of course, publishers are going to be going into you know that book thing and looking at how many copies of the given world sold so if you guys can sell another thousand copies for me between now and next week that would be awesome all right listeners we would like to uh to see what we can do as by way of uh moving and shaking culture the given, moving the needle there that's right the given world is yeah. now out in paperback <laughs> She's holding it up, but again, this is an audio. This is audio, podcast, so yeah. Yeah, that's okay. It's black and pink. Yes, yes. we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. Yes, we that put, would we be awesome. Yes, black and pink with a photograph of a woman who has nothing to do with the book entirely. So that is not that right. Is, that is true. That is, that is not Riley. <laughs> Believe me, we had the conversation. <laughs> She's just somebody sitting at like the other end of the bar one night. I still don't know. <laughs> Who that is. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, thank you. Thank so you, thank you so, so much. much. It was great talking to you. Me too. And I hope to see you guys when I get back to the bay. We yes. would love it. Come on up to Sebastopol. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.